0: up sluts losers and everything in between it's me again your fairy god pisces tony murray back at it again with another episode of get in losers where i continue to dish out the advice that i don't take on this podcast we discuss everything under the sun relating back to psychology we do reflection we do introspection we laugh we cry we hold ourselves accountable And most importantly, we self-actualize, because who doesn't want to feel like the best possible version of themselves, am I right? Before we jump in, though, I'd just like to give a quick disclaimer that while I I have a degree in psychology, I'm not a licensed psychologist or a practitioner in the field. Therefore, if you feel like you need help and you need professional help, please do not be afraid to reach out to a friend, a loved one, or even me to get the help that you deserve. All right, let's get into it. So today I'm flying solo. I have no guests today, so it's just my voice you're going to hear for the next, I don't know, 45 minutes or so. well, Let's just make this real quick now. We're going to talk about the ego today, and we're going to talk about human insanity. Have you ever thought that the entire human existence is absolutely insane? We've had World War I, World War II, we've had threats of World War III. We've had many things that have contributed to the destruction of our planet solely on the basis of the fact that we've done it to ourselves. We suffer with mental illness, we suffer with plagues, we suffer with like so many like diseases of the mind. And it's like, why can't we just appreciate what it is that we just have right in front of us? In 1932, the psychologist Carl Jung met a Native American chief. His name was Mountain Lake in New Mexico. When Young asked him what he thought about the European people who had conquered his country, he gave a damning assessment. He said, the whites always want something. They are always uneasy and restless. We do not know what they want. We do not understand them. We think that they are all mad. Other indigenous people have also shared mountain lakes bemusement and many people believe that the Europeans' lust for possessions was some sort of madness. As the Suez chief sitting bull said, the love of possession is a disease with them. They claim it, they claim this mother of ours. They claim their earth as their own and fence their neighbors away. In a similar way, many were shocked by the Europeans lack of connection to and lack of reverence to nature. As one of the most acute observers of the differences between the European and the Indian worldviews, Chief Luther Standing Bear wrote, Indian faith sought the harmony of man with his surroundings. The others sought dominance of surroundings. For the Indian, the world was full of beauty, but for the white man, it was a place of sin and ugliness to be endured. Until he went into another world. In other words, Indigenous people seem to think that there's something wrong with us, that we are mad. I say we because we follow and subscribe to Western culture. You know, we do not follow East Indian philosophies as they do. An Indigenous anthropologist who studied our history would find that a massive amount of further evidence for this as well thousands of years of constant warfare, massive inequalities of wealth and power, the brutal obsession and oppression of women, uh, the brutal oppression of other classes and castes, endless brutality, violence, greed, and in recent decades, the suicidal destruction of our planet's life support systems. He or she would also look at the massive inequalities which blights our world today, where the three richest people in the world are actually wealthier than the 48 poorest countries combined and where almost 800 million people are undernourished while millions of others are obese because they have too much food. What could be more insane than this? Why? The human experience, of course. Haven't you ever realized by now that our entire existence is based on absolute insanity? Let's discuss. Why do we suffer you know, from constant restlessness and unease, which Mountain Lake spoke of? Why is it that many of us are so driven to accumulate more and more wealth, status, and success without any evidence that they provide us with contentment or fulfillment? Why do we continually foster this illusion that contentment and fulfillment and joy is something that we have to seek outside of ourselves through materialism and want, rather than coming to the conclusion that we are the creators of our own reality and our feelings of joy don't actually spawn from viewing something as joyful. Rather, it just comes from being joyful. When we achieve our goals, we often only feel a short period of satisfaction before our minds begin to feel restless and you know, at dis-ease again because it, de- it fills us with a desire to achieve more. Why does it do that? Why can't we just be content with what we already have? In Stephen Taylor's book, Back to Sanity, he suggests that there's something wrong with our minds. He thinks that we suffer from a basic psychological disorder, which is the source of our dysfunctional behavior. But because madness is so uh, intrinsic to us, we're not aware of it. He refers to this madness as humania or human madness. And in his book, he sometimes referred to it as ego madness. As well since the disorder is a result of the malfunctioning and you know maldevelopment of the ego and this is where I kind of want to draw my point from in this episode I won't be referring to our illness as humania it makes it seem as if our internal hardwire is screwed beyond repair and that's not really the case rather I want to draw upon the term ego madness because it is the state of being Our soul body exists quite separately from our egoic mind. However, our illness manifests now because we hold this belief that our mind and our ego is something that we can't escape. So what is the ego? According to psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud, the ego is a part of our personality that mediates the demands of the superego the id and the reality. If you've never done psychology or have you never been exposed to these terms before, this will sound like utter madness to you. So let me elaborate. Sigmund for I believe that our personality and the foundation of our mind are built upon three major components. That all our wants, our desires and our moral compass, every behavior, every thought pattern we possess are created and regulated in the confines of our mind by these three entities that I have just mentioned. The id, according to Freud, is the most basic part of our personality. It urges people to fulfill our most primal needs. So, for example, our animalistic sexual impulses or our insatiable hunger or thirst. It helps with basic survival, basically. The superego, on the other hand, is the moralistic part of the personality that forms in later childhood as a result of upbringing and social influences. So this could include like, our opinions on religion, politics, what we believe to be right and wrong, and how we behave, which a lot of it is influenced by our primary caregivers, our parents, and our upbringing. The ego comes into play because it acts to strike a balance between these two forces, which are oftentimes at war with each other. What we want versus what is right can often be a challenging decision And Freud says the ego seeks to work on satisfying both desires in a realistic and socially appropriate way. Whilst the ego in this situation, you know, it can almost sound good and necessary for our mental sanity and fortitude. Freud, however, at times does note that the ego is not the master in its own house. And weaker egos are prone to many pathologies and illnesses of the human mind. And this can also manifest itself in the form of a defense mechanism. So what is a defense mechanism? This is a psychological strategy, and it's used to protect a person from anxiety arising from unacceptable thoughts or feelings that come from the id or the superego's demands. They work on the basis of the unconscious level and they help to ward off unpleasant feelings to make things feel better for the individual person. And while ego defense is natural and normal, if they get out of proportion, the individual can develop a neurosis of the mind, anxieties of various sorts, phobias, obsessions, or even hysteria. Anna Freud, Sigmund Freud's daughter, identified and elaborated on nine defense mechanisms that we use in our everyday lives to deflect from feelings of inner turmoil. You know, these include, and you've heard these terms before, they include denial denial depression uh projection displacement sublimation and these are unconscious defenses that keep the threatening or disturbing thoughts in our brain from becoming conscious they create unidentified anxieties in the unconscious and they can come to the surface through various means maybe in dreams in therapy or slips of the tongue For example, uh, reaction formation refers to a person going beyond denial and behaving in the opposite way that he or she thinks. Freud thinks that men who are prejudiced against homosexuals make their defense against their own homosexual feelings by adopting harsh homosexual attitudes, which helps them to convince them of their own heterosexuality. Another one is rationalization. This is a cognitive distortion of facts to make an event or impulse less threatening. In other words, we provide ourselves with excuses. When a person finds a a situation difficult to accept, they will make up a logical reason as for why it has happened. For example, a person may claim that a natural disaster is God's will. The easiest way to notice that these defense mechanisms are in action is by observing the trail of emotional reactions it leaves behind. Anger at a loved one, a need to be right, a feeling of insecurity in certain situations, feelings of jealousy that are unexplained, the need to impress someone, and so on. These emotions can be attributed to the false beliefs that comprise the ego. In the beginning, it's easier to see the symptoms of resulting emotional emotions and drama rather than the ego that caused it. So although Freud describes the ego as something that is necessary to keep our sanity in check, let's look at it objectively as we just did. The ego isn't entirely all good, is it? moving away from the psychological perspective of it. Let's move now into an Eastern philosophical perspective. Since the Native Americans think that we're all mad, you know, the ego in a spiritual standpoint is a false identity that has been created by our minds, in which all our beliefs, our personalities, our talents, our abilities form an artificial sense of self. But it's fundamentally not who we are. When we have thoughts about ourselves that we agree with, we construct a self-image. For example, I'm not good at math. I am emotional. My breasts long. I am am better than you. That was stupid of me to say, etc. And when we even believe with the slightest conviction that these ideas define us, then we are building or reinforcing an ego in all cultures, developing a self-image is a normal part of socialization. However, problems arise when the self-image is negative, inaccurate, or even overly positive. And while this discretion might make the ego seem like a static thing, it is not. Rather, it is an active and dynamic part of our personalities. It plays an immense role in creating emotional drama in our lives. But why is the ego so difficult to explain? It's because it isn't one specific thing. One of our most deceptive aspects of the ego is that it generates powerful emotional reactions. And then it blames us for how it made us feel. So the anger that we react with, it comes from the ego-based beliefs of being right. And quote-unquote, knowing better than someone else the ego always wants to feel like it's better than or different to somebody else perhaps there's also a uh, victim interpretation of betrayal underneath you know after we overreact with anger we might feel badly for acting that way and the ego then shifts to this kind of self-righteous knows better and you know it kind of makes us feel sorry for overreacting with anger, and it assumes this identity of being in the wrong and taking the blame for overreacting. All these attitudes, thoughts, and beliefs take place in the mind. And even though they are completely different, all of them come from us. Returning to Taylor's book, Back to Sanity, ego madness is oftentimes too omnipresent and too unaware to the person. So it, it, becomes a little, it becomes a little difficult to discern the difference, but it's certainly the cause of human distress and human suffering. It means that the normal state of our minds is insanity. In fact, according to Buddhism, life is suffering, and the suffering begins in our minds this psychological discord as i like to call it is so it's so normal to us that we don't even realize it's there it's like background noise you're so used to it you don't you don't even hear it anymore but it has massive consequences it means that we have to keep our attention focused outside of ourselves and fill our lives with constant activity and distraction it's like addicts who need a constant supply of a drug it makes it impossible for us to find contentment It causes discord in our relationships. It causes a great deal of cognitive dissonance. You wonder, well, what came over me? Why did I react this way? When the ego controls your self-reflection process, you have no chance of seeing the root cause of your emotional traumas, because it reaffirms the behavior by hiding in self-criticism It's even possible for much of the conflict, oppression and brutality which has filled human history. So how do we fix it? Many spiritual practitioners hold the belief that ego must be destroyed to let the spirit flourish, which is of course impossible. The spiritual side of ourselves is often left undeveloped because our attention is outward in the world of stuff, things. And the temporary desires of the ego meditation and other spiritual practices allow us to look inward and connect with our spirit to really ground our being there to really find our true essence of ourselves but the truth is the ego is so intertwined with our lives our language linear time our relationships that it becomes seamless and invisible unless we reflect on it To us, the ego provides conditions of human existence. It provides us with an identity. What would we be without our identity? And it has created this illusion that we are nothing without our thoughts. And we are nothing without our egoic mind. But this thought in spirituality is false. All living things on this planet have a consciousness. They may not all possess intrinsic thought but they all have a life form. Thoughts are created from our consciousness, the essence of our being. And thought cannot exist without consciousness, but consciousness can exist without thought. That was a lie, so I don't think you might understand that instantly. But all that to say, we are completely independent to our egos and knowing this gives us complete agency to create or destroy our reality at will and still retain the core of our being but then this also begs the question who are we beyond our ego one way to look about look at the ego i guess from a perspective is like a like a heavy shell like a beetle it's a protective shell and it works like armor to cut you off from other people and the outside world. Here's me, and then there's the rest of the world and other people. You know, the ego likes to emphasize the otherness of others. It loves to strengthen itself by complaining, either in thoughts or words about other people. The situation you find yourself in, is that something that is happening right now shouldn't be happening even if it's happening from yourself for example when you're in a long line at the supermarket you might start complaining how slow the line is going and how the cashier should be doing this or that and he didn't really do anything or he's failed to do anything at all and he should be packing the bags and cashing out and just doing this in a very timely manner When this sort of situation happens, it's because the ego has you in a grip. You don't have thoughts. Thoughts have you. And if you want to be free, you have to understand that the voice in your head is creating them. It's created irritation. And the upset that you feel is actually just an emotional response to that voice. According to the author and spiritual guru Eckhart Tolle, the trick to the ego is to work towards freeing ourselves from this armor. We have to free ourselves from this voice and this dictating reality. And he outlined several things that we can do. Number one, observe your mind. Become aware of what kind of thoughts you habitually think especially negative ones like anger, impatience, irritation, sadness. If you start to hear these repetitive thoughts, you may realize that you have been thinking the same thing over and over again, almost every day without even realizing. Do an exercise. Take the time to sit down alone with yourself and wonder what is my next thought. And the more you think about what your next thought is going to be, the longer it actually takes for a next thought to come into your mind. That is called you being present. You're not swamped in your ego. You're not swamped in the past or the future. You're just in the present. Thinking about what your next thought is going to be. And it takes a very long time before it actually comes. Because that is what it just means to be consciously aware. next thing you have to do is recognize your ego when you say things like i am a security guard or i'm homeless or i was betrayed or i was a sufferer of some disease you are enabling this process of mind identification where you're associating who you are with the things that you do or the experiences that you've gone through the ego is unaware of our true source. The ego has no idea who we really are. It's basically a voice in our head telling us who we really are. It believes that I have, therefore I am. And the more that I have, the more that I am, which is quite delusional and it's opposite of the truth. You need to become aware. When you see the difference between your inner voice and the reality of the situation, that is when you begin awakening. This can often be a fleeting moment that flashes and disappears. And you will lose yourself again. And the old thoughts will arise. But gradually, you will gain awareness. Because ego doesn't want to change. So it will give you plenty of reasons why it is you cannot be present. Realize it's all in your mind whether it is fear, desire, jealousy, happiness, sadness, or any other identification, they are all psychological forms and emotions that are attached to the identity or the I, you know? While it may seem like fear or desire or longing or frustration, are caused by external circumstances and people, it's actually created by the mind. (laughs) You need to be alert because you need to see that suffering is not caused by the condition, but it's due to your thoughts and your emotions about it. That is why Ramanan Marihashi says that mind is Maya. Mind is an illusion. I'll give you all an example. The other day I had a... An argument with somebody that I was close with and he told me that I was not being patient and I said with you I am being patient and he said no you're not being patient with yourself and it took me a while to understand what that meant but oftentimes the limitations within ourselves transgressed those around us and he was absolutely right i was not being patient with myself therefore i was not being patient with him i apologized, and he was like it's okay because you're not acting like you right now but i see you for who you are and i said "Hmm, all right mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm, happy shit you on all right cool but like you know he was <laughs> he was really it really made a lot of sense because That was my egoic mind talking. I was over exaggerating a situation in which there is no right or wrong from, it's just what you make of the external circumstances. And in that moment, I was able to watch my thoughts. I was not the accuser, I was not the victim. I was just an observer of my own thoughts and my own actions. And I said, I don't have to choose to act in this way. I can just choose to be. I can just choose to be present and be conscious. And I did. And I said, okay. And whatever argument that we were having before dissolved. And we were just there. There was no cumulative right or wrong. And a lot of the times, the ego, the egoic mind has a habit of wanting to be right. You want the satisfaction when you're fighting with your friend, your partner, whoever. When you're having an argument, you want that satisfaction of being right, you know? But there's no victor when it comes to certain arguments. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you can realize you can just have inner peace and just exist. The fifth strategy that Eckhart Tolle talks about is disidentifying with your mind. Here's a practice. Just watch your mental activity or listen to the voice in your head. Is it compulsive? Does it talk a lot? Does it ever stop talking? Deeply realize that this is not you. It's not actually you it's just your mind or your ego generating an incessant thought stream in your space of consciousness if you were just the watcher and you were just the observer of your voice or your reactions or your emotions how can you be them a large part of suffering and problems arise when you believe that the voice in your head and emotions are actually you And suffering and problems arise when you believe that the voice and emotions are actually you. In other words, when you have become the voice, you have developed ego madness. And this phantom self takes over your whole life. You are not even there. But this is just a mind-created image of you. And finally, let go. For instance... If you have been fired from your job, you might be resistant to being negative. You might want to adopt this super positive personality. You know, you just listened to my first episode of my podcast about optimism and you're deciding that you'd like to take a more optimistic uh, approach towards life. So you're like, yeah, I'm going to be more optimistic. It's a great thing that I lost my job. That's that not necessary. We hold on to this fairy tale belief of supposed happiness and that we should be happy, but in reality, it just keeps you stuck where you are. So instead, try to describe only what is happening. Have no feeling of it, no judgment of it. I do not have a job, so I have to go and look for one. We may feel upset that we have lost our job, we may feel angry, bitterness, resentment. Of course, these are all normal and natural behaviors. And feelings and your feelings are completely valid. However, don't let it take over your life. Don't go into a depression for extended periods of time, brooding and feeding more into this negativity. It could, because it could spawn into other areas of your life. You've lost your job. Now you're fighting with your man. You're fighting with your parents. You just lost some money gambling. What kind of thing is that? Let it go. Observe the thought. Observe the thought. And just say, all right, this has happened. How can we productively and healthily move forward? Because, you see, the mind is an imposter and it pretends to be you. It can be a wonderful tool. But the problem comes when you seek yourself in it. Then it becomes egoic, and it takes over your whole life. Who would want to be stuck in their head for in their entire life? Human beings, that's who. Your sense of self is derived from ever-changing content, which is based on the past, it's based on mind identification, it's based on various forms of yourself. But the truth is we need to deeply realize that we are not our minds. Our personalities are artificially constructed. Our experiences and how we perceive them are a result of our own interpretation of everything we've ever known. Have you ever looked back on a memory many years into the future? Something that made you feel a very strong emotion, let's say anger. And many years after, when you look back on it, you feel nothing. It was your interpretation of it at that time that made you feel anger but just as how you feel ambivalent now is just as how you could have felt ambivalent then you didn't need to create a negative memory of something you chose to create a negative memory of something the reason why native americans think that we're so fucking mad is because we've never actually been aware of how infinitely wonderful our beings are nature and the abundance of planet earth have always been a gift we have just been too stuck in our minds to see that so to the argument that human experiences insanity yes i do tend to agree but how do we cure this insanity and then just live freely and presently don't look for me for the answers i know exactly who i am but the question is who are you if you thought that this was a sign this was a fucking sign and i'm out of here it was wonderful having you i'll see you all next week